ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us and show us what you would like us to see from this. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Thus saith the Lord God, Go unto me, go and get you a linen girdle, and put it upon your loins, and put it not in water. So I got a girdle according to the word of the Lord, and put it on my loins, and and the word of the Lord came unto me a second time, saying, Take the girdle that you have got, which is upon your loins, and arise and go to the Euphrates, and hide it there in a hole in the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates, as the Lord commanded me. And it came to pass, after many days, that the Lord said unto me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, and take the girdle from thence, which I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates, and dug, and took the girdle out from its place where I hid it. And behold, the girdle was marred, and was profitable for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, After this manner will I mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people, which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imaginations of their heart and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them, shall even be as this girdle, which is good for nothing. For as the girdle cleaves to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel, the whole house of Judah, Thus saith, uh, saith the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people and a name and for a praise and for glory, but they would not hear. All right, we're going to stop there. So here is a object lesson from God. Uh, God likes object lessons. Object lessons are things that do stand out. People remember them for a long time. Um, one of the ones that I remember from the past is, a uh, guy came down the center aisle of the of the church. He kind of looked all ragged, and he was carrying a bunch of bags and burdens. And he walked up into where a cross was set up, and he dropped his bags and burdens and walked away jumping and, and being excited. The whole idea of we're to leave our burdens with God. Now, another version of that means sometimes that they'll start taking those bags back with them, showing that we have this habit of taking our baggage back after we leave it at the cross. But both of them, you remember because they're an image. God is placing an image before them through this activity. So Elijah was told, get you a linen girdle. Now I'm kind of sad that they use the word girdle because the word is waistband or actually it has the implication of being undergarment. In other words, underwear. Go get some underwear, (laughs) all right? Uh, And put it on your loins and put it not in water. So he says, I want you to put this underwear on and you are not to wash it. Now, anybody who's worn underwear, you know, we don't want to wear it two days in a row. And we don't know how long he had to wear this, but he had to wear this probably several days without washing. And that would get uncomfortable. It would get, at the very least, stinky, uh, uh, worn and soiled because we know underwear gets soiled even without losing your your control (laughs) Uh, so he says all of this and he says he got so I got the the girdle and put it on my loins and so he's wearing it the way he was told and and it came to pass a second time that God spoke to him and says take the girdle which you have got which is on your loins and arise and go to the Euphrates and hide it in a hole in the rock so he says okay now take this take this garment and go stick it in a hole basically bury it all right Uh, I can picture at this point uh, Jeremiah has no idea what's going on he has no idea why I'm wearing underwear for 
few days or a week or whatever it comes in. And then he's being told, okay, now I'm going to go bury this thing. He goes, all right, what, God, what is the purpose of this? It's kind of funny when we look at some of the things that these prophets were told to do and go, wow, how amazing it was that they even listened to God most of the time. And, you know, this one's not as bad as some of them. <laughs> uh, but he goes out and he says, okay, so I went and I hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. So now he came back. It's been hidden over by the Euphrates, uh, which is the great river of, by Babylon. It divided Babylon from the rest of the, rest of the area, the Assyrians and, and the desert to Israel. And then it says, and it came to pass many days, and we don't know how many days many days are, is going to stay in that hole long enough to get marred. What that means is mildewed, rotted away. Now it is old, stinky underwear that is fallen apart. <laughs> and he's going to go back up and now get it. And it says, go and take the garment from there, which I commanded you to hide. I can almost picture Jeremiah going, God, I have no idea what you're doing here. First you tell me to wear this stuff for a while, then you tell me to bury it, now you tell me to unbury it. This is the object lesson. We already read it. We know, we know what, where God's going with it, but Jeremiah did not know what was going on with this picture. And then it says in verse 7, Then I went to the Euphrates and dug and took the gar girdle from its place where I had hid it. And behold... The girdle was marred, and this means ruined and rotted, all right, which we would expect. We don't know how long it was buried for. We know that it was already probably pretty bad when he put it in the ground. And now he put it in ground, and it says many days. I don't know if that was months or several months or a, a year. We don't know exactly how long it was. And all of a sudden he goes back, and it is, you know, as most anything, you know, if you, you know, I think about this, you know, I've seen a piece of cloth that, out on a out in a yard and you go to pick it up after just a week or two out in the yard and sometimes it'll be rotted already so i don't know how long he buried it but it's for several days many days and it's long enough that he goes to pick it up and it's rotted it's marred it's it definitely isn't going to be worn as a undergarment anymore all right uh, it says then the word of the lord came to me and said after this manner will I mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. The evil people which are refused to hear my words, which walk in the imaginations of their heart and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them, even, shall even be as this girdle, which is good for nothing. So I don't know if he was to take this garment and to show them, which is what he probably did, you know, because God is going to take this a little to the next step. But he's telling at least Elijah, uh, uh, excuse me, Jeremiah, my people are like this garment. Yeah, this is like my people. Pretty graphic description. They are rotted, good for nothing. Uh, you know, they have never been cleaned because this garment hadn't been cleaned, was not put into water, and it was buried, it rotted. And he says, this is, this is like my people and after this manner will I mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. And this is something we want to understand. In Jeremiah's day, remember he, he was a prophet at the end of Josiah's reign, who was the last good king of, Egypt, uh, in, of Judah, through 
four other kings that are terrible kings. So he is looking at the falling down of Judah. And God is saying, this is representing my people. But even during that period of time when Israel, uh, Judah was falling apart, they were all saying, God's temple is here in Jerusalem. We will never lose a battle. God would never let his temple be conquered. Jerusalem has been built up and it is considered undefeatable. Uh, and that was the, the thing that people would say, that this is something, this city cannot be defe defeated. It is impregnable. And that was their attitude. We live in a city where it can't be beaten. Oh, by the way, we got God's temple in there. We're not worshiping him, but God's temple is in this city, so he will never let his temple fall. That was their attitude. All right? They weren't worshiping him. They were worshiping every other god in the, in the book except for God. But they had God's house on there, and they were going, that's our God. Because they were, for all practical purposes, culturally you know, following him. Um, much like America had been for a long time. And we started out fairly godly, and then through the 1800s, we were just kind of coasting along. In the early 1900s, we were definitely just coasting along. And the mid to late 1900s into the 20th, 20th century, 21st century, we're just abandoning God at all. And we still claim maybe being Christians and everything, but most people don't know any story in the Bible. They don't know anything about what God, they don't know anything about what he stands for at all. That was the Jews. We're worshiping him on Passover. You know, we have a, we have a nice meal. You know, Festival of Lights, we get to celebrate. <laughs> well, they don't have Festival of Lights at this point, but you know, uh, Yom Kippur, ah, this is the time that we're supposed to offer a sacrifice so that our sins will be forgiven. So all we got to do is go to that sacrifice, lay our hands on it, and it's going to be killed, and we'll be guilt-free guilt for another year. That was their attitude. Don't have to obey God, just do a few few things for him and we'll be okay. And God says, I am going to mar their pride. I am going to destroy their pride. And this is pretty bad. When God says he's going to move against you, you're in trouble. And this is where God says, I am going to come in and take care of this. So, and it goes on and says, this evil people, this is his children he's talking about. <laughs> His people, he goes, this evil people, which refused to hear my words. They weren't even willing to listen to God's word. They did not read the Pentateuch. They did not follow God's laws. They weren't being obedient to God's laws. They were worshiping other gods. And he says, they refused to hear my word. Josiah has died. There's nobody even trying to follow God anymore. And they're, they're not following after him. And it says, they walk after the imaginations of their heart. Imaginations, all of what they want to do, their devices. Kind of like, you know, when we read this, we're looking at our day and age now. Everybody does what they feel like doing. All right? And this is a country that was started on God's premises. We were known as a Christian country, country because people obeyed God's laws. Now, I'm not saying they were all Christians. But they understood the Ten Commandments were God's laws, and they built our laws on the Ten Commandments. They built, they built everything upon God's word. And the further away we got, the less we became a Christian nation, but we still had that foundation. The foundation yeah, think, is shot. See, I wouldn't think they would be so bad that that was so much closer. I can see now the world's so fallen, but back then it was more, I think, godly. 
This is why I always go back to Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. And if we look through history, this kind of activities have been going on forever. It just keeps going. Now, I think we're a little worse than, than most of the other times, but if you study history during the Roman Empire, at the fall of the Roman Empire, homosexuality, adultery, fornication was rampant, lazy people uh, not wanting to do anything and be, be taking tax money and to live on. Just, you know, you, you go through that statement and all you have to do is change Rome to the United States and you're, you know, and you, and you got the same picture. All right. And it happened to Greek, the Greeks. It happened to the, to the uh, Babylon Empire and the Assyrian Empire and the, and, and the Egyptian Empire. All of these things are always the same thing. The empire gets strong. Sin starts, people start wanting to entertain themselves because they're no longer having to go to war. And how do they entertain themselves? Usually through illicit sexual activity, fornication, adultery, and then that doesn't entertain them anymore. So they go into uh, homosexuality. And then from homosexuality, they'll very quickly go into bestiality and, and, uh, and everything else under the sun. So this has been the downfall of every nation. And every nation has its downfall starts with homosexuality. And then they fall very quickly from that point. And that's historically accurate for every one of these periods of time. So our nation is at that point. The only problem is the entire world is at that point pretty much. The entire world this time is accepting it, which is one of the reasons I think that we are literally at the end times. There's not a nation that I see that can step up and say, we're going to be God's people and follow God. And the handful that are still trying to fight against it or have a lot of pressure against them by the rest of the world to accept the homosexuality. And it's going to be a problem. And these people are doing what's best in their imagination. And they walk after other gods to serve them and they worship them. So he's saying they're, they're walking after other gods. And this is so amazing. All of Israel over and over again kept worshiping the false gods, the Baals, the Astoros, the Moloch, uh, all the other gods out there, the uh, Gamesh, they, they were worshiping all these gods and kept turning their back on God. And then what was really bad is when everything was starting to go bad, they'd call on God and say, God, help us. You know, and mostly God did until the very end when he says, no, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this. You're going to go into captivity. Uh, so this is what was going on. He goes, you're worshiping him. And it says, uh, they worship this even, shall even be as this girdle, which is good for nothing. This, this undergarment, good for nothing. He says, my people worshiping other gods, doing what they, is right in their own eyes, are good for nothing. And, you know, I kind of look at this world, and sometimes I'm going, this world is good for nothing. There is so little that we can do. We cannot watch TV or watch movies or read magazines. Can't watch commercials, even on, if you're watching something that is supposed to be good. You can't watch, watch that because the commercials are terrible. You know, and it's like, God, how far down do we have to go before we end up being judged? And, you know... I think we're close. I really think we're close. We either have to repent and turn back to God or God is going to bring judgment. 
because we are getting there. Um, when, and I've even heard there's people already wanting to be able to marry multiple people. Uh, they want to get into pedophilia. They want to, there's people who want to marry their pets. There's all kinds of things going on right now. So this is, and it's exactly what I said when the Supreme Court said homosexuality is okay, watch out because every other thing is going to come along right behind it. Because as soon as you unlink a standard, where do you draw that new line? But we don't have any standards, so we'll just, well, you arbitrarily do a line, how do you hold on to that line? You know, instead of saying God said, <laughs> this is the rule, and once you break that, that anchor, there is nothing to stand on. And that's where our country is, that's where the world is going. There is no anchor of morality to hold on to because they're believing that there is no, there is no anchor, there is no absolute truth, there is no morality. And as soon as you make that stance, then whoever's powerful enough to make the, what their rules, that's what, you know, that's part of the evolution idea. Uh, the, the weak die and the strong survive. So uh, you family people, you're weak, we're going we're gonna to do what we want. We're going we're gonna to have whatever sexual revolution we want, and you just, you know, you're so weak, you're going to die out. And, you know, in the long run, they would die out if they got their way because there would be no children, but... Uh, but they don't understand that. And they don't care. They just want to do what they think is going to make them happy. And yet, it doesn't end up making them happy. All right, there's so many diseases out there that are rampant in the homosexual community, and they pretty much are homosexual diseases. And they are out there, and yes, when they sleep around, when they're bi bisexual, they will pass their diseases on to other people, but pretty much it is a disease that is in their world. And this is the interesting thing. If we obey God, we don't have to worry about those. We don't have to worry about all those diseases that are going around if we're obeying God and having uh, sex just within marriage. We don't have to worry about AIDS, uh, and the sexually, other transsexually, monkeypox, which is a sexually transmitted disease. All this stuff that's going on, if we just obey God, we don't have to worry about it. <laughs> because that there is a woman, yeah. And then he says, my people just like this garment are good for nothing. Uh, and then he goes, for as the girdle cleaves to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel, the whole house of Judah, says the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people and for a name and for a praise and for a glory, but they would not here. This is God's heart. This is his heart for his Jewish people. This is his heart for Christians. That we would be his people that are called by his name. And a name talks about reputation and honor and position. And we've talked about this on several occasions. It's really sad that most people don't care about their name anymore. You know, in the 1800s and even in the early 1900s, your name was everything. What is my reputation? What is my name? My dad was always going after us. When it was time to go to work, you are a Wells. That means you're a hard worker and you do good work. Period. That was his attitude. Even though we didn't live in any place that would have known our name, he grew up with the idea that Wellses were hard workers. And he instilled it into us. That is our reputation for our name. And I don't see that coming around very much anymore. 
you know, we used to have people that were known as the town drunks or the town bums, the, you know, the hard workers. You kind of knew in the East Towns, this person is from that family. We can trust them or we can't trust them because they're from that family. Um, and so he says, you were, you were my people for a name and for a praise. God says, I want to be able to praise you. Not that he's looking for it, but he wanted to praise his people and for glory. It is very interesting when we get into the scriptures, it says, the Lord our God wants to sing over us, sing songs about us, sing praises about us. He wants to give honor to us. He wants to be able to say, this is my child. What did he do to Satan when Satan came to challenge him about Job? Have you considered my servant Job? I have great praise for him. He's a good, he's, he's a perfect and upright man. He hates evil. You know, have you considered him? Can you picture the praise that he has on it? This is my son. This is my child. He cares about me. He loves me. You are not going to be able to get, you're not going to be able to take him down. Yeah, this is his praise. He's a proud father for his children, boasting about his children. Now, I know that not everybody's had a good father in their life and everything, but, you know, if you've had a good father, you've seen a good father, you know this attitude. Uh, if, you have, if you didn't have a good father yourself, think of uh, uh, Leave it to Beaver or Father Knows Best, where those fathers really did love their kids. And every once in a while, they would praise their kids up to to their friends and neighbors, you know, I've got the best kid, you know, and, you know, my kids are good. And if you want a hard worker, you can, you know, my kid is the one you want to hire and, you know, these type of things. And God is saying, I want to glory in you. I want to praise on you. I want to, I want to boast on you. That is what God wants from us. And I love it. He is a proud father saying, I want to boast on my children and give glory. And it starts by listening to his voice listening to his word. I always think of Andy Griffith mm -hmm. as the sheriff, you know, being a father to hope. And if you talk to Ron Howard, you learn so much from that show. From that show, from, from Andy Griffith himself. Because I had no good father stuff. Yeah. And there have been a handful of good father figures on the on these shows, you know, that did a good job. It's been long gone, so uh, I think the last one probably was in like the 80s or 90s, uh, Full House and stuff, you know, Bill Cosby. But even the last Bill Cosby was not as strong either. He was not as strong a father as he was in the previous ones that, that you know, because they were making fathers look like wimps. And now the, now the comedy shows have the mothers looking like wimps. You know, it used to be that fathers were, were a joke and, a, and, a, and, and the mother was the one running the family. Now they're getting rid of the mothers. It's all the kids. And we see this going on all the time. Even in our ads, the government are doing PSAs toward children because they know that children will believe what they see on TV and then they encourage their children, now go tell your mom and dad that you, and it even happens in the school, go tell mom and dad because you're smarter than they are. They don't know this stuff. So you need to go educate them. So our own government is working against us and families. The entertainment industry is working against us and families. And God is sitting there, I go, 
I just want to be able to praise on my children. And for us in, in our day and age, you go, we, many of us would like to praise on our children, but we're watching them fall to, to the world standards and watching all this. And then God says, this is what I wanted to do, but you would not hear. You would not hear. And this here is to hear and obey. So it's not just you just wouldn't listen to my words, but you didn't have the attitude of being obedient. And this is what God is asking for, from us. He wants us to be listening to him with the attitude that I am going to obey what he asks me to do. Now, we unfortunately read an English Bible, and it's a lot harder to tell. But there's a lot of places where God gives direct commands to us in the Bible, including the New Testament. There's a lot of commands in the New Testament. But we don't really read them that way because we don't see the signals that they're imperatives, which are commands. You know, in the English Bible, we lose a lot of those key words that the Greek and the Hebrew and every other language other than English has that shows you that this is a command. And so we don't always listen to God the way we should but we also really do need to be looking at if God says something pretty strong or repeats it, I would start taking it as a command and saying, God, you want me to be obedient here, don't you? He didn't waste his time in the scriptures just saying a bunch of words. And this is one of the things that I truly believe about the Bible, that every word in scripture is, is important. All right. Uh, for those of you who have an older King James Bible, if it's in italics, if you remember what that means, that means it's added for your understanding. So if you were to want to know what God said in the original, take the italics out. Sometimes it makes the verse say something totally different than it says with the italics in it. All of these things, what does God say? And we're to listen to him, to be obedient to him because we're his children and God just wants us to be obedient. And this is very important. All right, verse 12, now we get another picture. Therefore you shall speak unto them this word, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Every bottle shall be filled with wine, and they shall say to you, Do we not certainly know that every bottle should be filled with wine? Then shall you say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will fill all the inhabitants of this land, even the kings that sit on David's throne, and the priests, and the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, with drunkenness. I will dash them one against the other, even the fathers and the sons together, says the Lord, I will not pity nor spare them, nor have mercy, but destroy them. All right, so here he is. He's saying all the wineskins, bottles in this case were wineskins, all the wineskins are going to be filled with wine. And the people are going, well, of course, wineskins are supposed to be filled with wine. What else are you going to fill wineskins with? So again, they're kind of making, they're going to be making fun of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah, what did you think we were going to put in these things? Uh, you know, figs? <laughs> you know, we know that they're wineskins. They're supposed to have wine, wine in them. And, you know, this is kind of what, you know, again, the poor prophets had to say things sometimes that when they first said it sounded so ridiculous. You know, um, God's going to make sure all your wineskins are filled with wine. All right, good. That's what we wanted anyway. We wanted lots of wine. All right. Uh, and then it says, they said, well, we know that they're supposed to be filled with wine. And it says, and then you shall say to them, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will completely fill all the inhabitants of this land, 
even the kings that sit upon David's throne and the priest and the prophets and all the Jerusalem with drunkenness. Because they were still to the point where they weren't looking for drunk, you know, to be drunk, even though they were spending a lot of time getting drunk because that was one of the things they were doing. But God said, I'm going to make you all just full of drunkenness. And the word here is basically a complete drunkenness. You know, fall on the ground drunk. Okay, this isn't just a simple, oh, you're going to get drunk, uh, but you guys are going to make fools of yourself. You're not going to be able to walk home. You're not going to be able to defend yourselves. You are going to be at everybody's mercy because you're drunk. And this is a pretty strong statement. And he goes from the king down to the lowest lowest person. There's not going to be anybody who isn't drunk. And it says, I will dash, and this literally means dash to pieces, uh, one against another. Now, this is something, when we think about it, in our day and age, I mean, if you think about what it means to be drunk or high, how many people get into fights, do stupid things, insult people, uh, cause problems when they're drunk and they're high? And this is what God said. You all are going to be starting to have problems with each other. You know, and he goes, even the father and the son together. So even the most intimate relationship that says, you guys are going to be fighting with each other because of this drunkenness. And again, I see our world. See, that's what I'm thinking. You're reading this Bible, and if you weren't known in the Bible, you would think you'd be reading today's news. Yeah, we're doing the same thing. And God says they're going to be high, they're going to be in fights, the father's going to be against the son, and the son against the father. And then it says, and the Lord said, I will not pity nor spare, nor have mercy, but destroy them. These are strong words. God says, they're going to be drunk, they're going to be at each other's throats, and I am not going to pity them. I am not going to spare them. You know, I am not going to have mercy. I plan to destroy my people because they're not listening to my words. And this goes all the way back to when Moses brought them the law and he says, choose today. There's two. You keep God's words and you'll be blessed. You reject his words and go against him and you will be cursed. And this went over and over again. Uh, Joshua said it. Uh, various ones of the prophets have said it. Choose who this day whom you will serve, the Lord or the gods of the other side of the Jordan. That's what Joshua said. You know, choose. Choose today who you're going to serve. And God says, you've chosen. You've chosen poorly. Now I'm going to have no pity. Everything that I said was going to come upon you is going to come upon you. And that was total destruction, being taken away in the first diaspora. Now we always think about the the big diaspora after the Romans moved them. But the Babylonian and the, and the Assyrian Empire was a diaspora also. The people of Israel were scattered all around the world, the known world at that time. And it's coming. And God says it's coming. And it, because it was brutal, there were a lot of people that were killed in that conquering. And then they were marched. Now, when God destroys Israel, the king and, the, and all of his princes and the royal house and all the people of wealth and honor are going to be marched to Babylon. And they weren't being nice to them in that march. 
They were chained together, being led by, by people on horses. The army was used to marching, so these guys would get tired out. These guys were not used to marching. They were not, they were not used to walking hardly. And as they would stagger and fall, they would be drug. Now, can you imagine what it would be like to be drug on those nice, nice soft gravel roads? <laughs> uh, you know, drug for a while until you could finally get back on your feet. All the burns and the scratches and all the stuff that would have been in involved with that. And this was what they were going to face. Deprivation, being stripped of their royal garments and basically having those things get ragged in a, in a several month march to Babylon. So that when they got to Babylon, they didn't have much clothing either. And sometimes, if you read some of the descriptions, they were naked to begin with. These people really wanted to bring degradation. And for the Jews, it was awful. The Jews were a modest people, mostly. They kept clothes on. And most of these places, many of these nations did not wear very much clothing. It would be much like today's world. You know, I kind of look around and sometimes I wonder, you know, how can anybody keep pure thoughts with the lack of clothes and stuff? And it's not bad here in Mojave County compared to some of the places I've been. Uh, I visited my daughter and son-in-law down in Havasu and it was like, okay, cover the eyes. You've got to drive, but cover the eyes because everybody's running around in bathing suits. That I don't even think, you know, if they wore underwear, they'd be more clothed than the bathing suits were. Uh, and, you know, and they were running around like that all over the place. And it's like, that is not abnormal either. That has happened in all these different nations over time. And we always picture these people fully clothed with long robes and everything. But if you look at some of the pictures, that wasn't a true picture of what's going on. Nobody in this day, and many times in those days, they weren't. And now the, the royalty usually stayed modest during their public things, but, uh, but they liked people around them that were not modest. Uh, and so all of this was going on, and he says, I am not going to have mercy on you. I am going to destroy you, and it's not much longer before they're destroyed. Verse 15, hear you and give ear. Be not proud, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God because before he causes darkness and before your feet stumble upon the dark mountains. And while you look for light, he... While you, while you look for light, he turn it into the shadows of death and make a gray, gross darkness. But if you will not hear it, my soul shall weep in secret places for my people, and my eyes shall weep sore and run down with tears because the Lord's flock is carried away captive. So here is God speaking. And I've said this several times, God, when he brings judgment, is not jumping up and down saying, oh good, I get to punish these people. His attitude is, I'm having to hurt my children. They deserve it, I know they deserve it, but I am not happy about this. And I've told every, you know, people, you know, my kids got spankings when they needed, needed it. Uh, and I've told everybody, well, that's abuse. No, it's only abuse when you're doing it to hurt them. If you're disciplining them, it is not abuse. And I've told many people, if you can spank your children without it hurting you, then you shouldn't be doing it. And my dad was one, he always said, when it was time to get a spanking, this is gonna hurt me more than it's gonna hurt you. And when I was a child, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm, not, I'm the one that won't be able to sit down, how is it hurting you? 
First time I had to spank one of my kids, I fully understood what my dad was saying. I did not want to hurt that child, you know, even for the purpose of discipline. And so this is very important. If you can hurt somebody without it being hurting you, then you've got a problem. And that person should not spank a child. That Just plain and simple, that person should not spank the child. And so he says here, hear and give ear. Be not proud, for the Lord has spoken. Humble your hearts. Do not be stubborn. The children of Israel had a real problem with stubbornness. All the way back to Moses, you can see then. He says, you are a stiff-necked people. Over and over, Moses said, you are stubborn and stiff-necked. Humble yourselves before God. And it went back beyond that. But, you know, and we see over and over God saying, you are a stubborn people. The one thing that we don't want God to describe us as is stubborn. That we need to have humble, soft hearts that say, God, here I am. I hear you. Be like Samuel when God called him. You don't remember the story of Samuel. He's in the temple. God, he hears God calling him, and he runs over to uh, Eli, and he says, you called me. He goes, you're dreaming. Go back to bed. God's called again. He runs over to Eli and says, you called me. He goes, no, I did not call you. And Eli goes, you're hearing God called. He goes, next time if it happens, you say, speak, Lord, your servant listens. And Eli was wise enough, even though he was going to be judged because of the wickedness he was doing, recognized that Samuel was hearing God. And Samuel, with that very soft, tender heart, said, Speak, Lord, your servant listens. And then he was given a really great message. He was told that, I am going to kill Eli and his sons, and, and they will be removed from the temple. And he went to bed, and Eli the next morning said, Did God talk to you? And Samuel said, Yes, he talked to me. He goes, What did he say? He goes, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> and he goes, Speak to me now, and don't hold back on, on, on pain of punishment. And he goes, God said, you and your sons are going to die. It was much more flowery, but you and your sons are going to die. And Eli goes, yes, God has told me that already. Because Eli was not disciplining his sons, and his sons were terrible, terrible, terrible priests. So they, that's why Eli died. Because of not disciplining his kids, knowing, knowing what they were doing. So Eli's, Eli's sons were stealing the, the offerings for themselves. They were sleeping with the women coming to give offerings in the temple. They were going and sleeping with them, and, uh, and he knew about it and didn't discipline them. And, and so were Eli's sons worse than David's? Sometimes yeah. it doesn't seem even. God does what he does. David's sons were not very good kids, but I, many of them were not doing what Eli's sons were doing. But Eli's sons were even worse, though, because they're priests. They had a different position even than the king. We're representing God, and you, come to, and you come to give your sacrifice and go, we're going to take that. But isn't it supposed to go on the altar? I brought it to it on, well, I'm going to take it, and you can consider yourself given an offering. Oh, we really like you. You're very pretty. Come and, come and sleep with us, and we'll get you your, get, give you your blessing. You know, that was what, you know, so making it so nobody wanted to come to church. They were lying on top of it. Yeah, they were doing all kinds of stuff to, on it. So they were really being awful. And they, were, and they were supposed to represent God. And so, yes, David's kids, most of them were somewhat bad. Uh, some worse than others. And so 
Here he's going, hear the word. He says, give glory to the Lord your God before he causes darkness, obscurity, hides things. You know, this is what God will do to his children. He first will bring in a darkness upon us and make it look like he's not there. Um, trying to get our attention. Are you going to fall down flat on your face? And when you do, will you turn to me? He goes, God will turn things into darkness. This is when we are not humbled, we're not seeking after him, and we just cannot see anything that God's doing. We can't see the path forward at all because we haven't humbled our hearts. Been there, done that in my lifetime. You know, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know where to go. And I don't you know, God, would you just turn on the lights? And God says, are you ready to humble yourself and repent? And, you know, this is what he's saying. He's going, I'm going to make it darkness. And before your feet stumble upon the dark mountains, and while you look for the light, you know, so he's going, you're not even doing any things and you're trying to find this light, but I'm the light. And you're not willing to turn to me. And this is what it talks about. When we're living in sin, we're living in darkness. Before we're saved, we're living in darkness. Nothing seems to satisfy. Nothing seems to be lit up. And we're going the wrong direction. We're stumbling around. And we can do that in our backslidden state, state too. God says, okay, we're just going to dim the lights. You know, what it likes, you know what it means to have light. Now we're going to make it that the lights are going to be dim. And you're just going to be stumbling around. And have done this myself at various times in my life. Stumbled around because I wasn't listening to God and not following him. Um, and it says, he turn it into the shadow of death and make it gross darkness. The shadow of death. Some of us have been there at times. David says, yea, though I walk through the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For God is with me. So we walk around, and as his children, it is just a shadow. The, the death that we face is just a shadow. And for us as Christians, it really is a shadow because what ends up happening is the moment that I do die, my body dies, I get to go in front and spend eternity with God. So it really is just a shadow. It's just a shade. It's, it's trying to make us afraid. And this is one of the things I really hope that we as Christians fully understand Death is not our enemy. Death is what frees us from this world to spend the rest of the time with God. And I keep running into people all the time. They're going, well, I'm afraid to die. Do you know God? Yes. Then why are you afraid to die? Now, if, you're not, if you don't know God, I understand why you're afraid to die. Yeah. I understand completely why you're afraid to die because you have no hope. And you really do have no hope. You're going to end up in hell. And yes, you have every reason to be terrified of death if you're not one of his children. But when you're his child, there is nothing to fear from death. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I love that. What can the world do to me? And I've shared with you all the time, I used to drive people crazy when I was young. They go, well, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do a good job because I, I want to go home. What? I go, because the worst you can do to me is almost kill me. And, you know, they're looking at me like I'm a nut and usually would walk away. 
this guy's absolute nuts. You know, he's not afraid of anything that we've said to him. But is that really our attitude? Are we fearful of death? And I've heard pastors joke, I'm not afraid to die, I'm just afraid to, you know, of meeting death. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. I am not afraid of death. Because I get to go to heaven when I die. Now I don't want to get halfway dead and have to be, res- you know, put into the hospital and suffer pain and have broken bones and all of that. But I am not afraid to die because that means I get to go home and be with the Father. How can you be absolutely sure? Is that, is that a faith thing? It's believing what God says. The question is, do you really believe God's word? Then it's not a problem. Romans, Romans 10, uh, starting at verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh you, even in your mouth and in your heart. What that is, the word of faith which we speak. That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, shall believe in your heart that the God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and you've accepted that, you are saved. Satan wants to come along and lie to us all the time. Well, you're not really saved. You don't feel like it. You don't act like it. You don't, you don't seem like it. But the question comes down, do I believe God's word? So those thoughts that you have could be coming from just from Satan? Satan, your own doubts, whatever. You know, if, and if that's the problem, spend more time in God's word, really getting to know his word. I have no doubt whatsoever. God has changed my life so dramatically over time, over 50 years of walking with him. I have no doubt that I truly believe he's my savior and I know that he's my savior. And if you're still struggling with it, I've said it over and over. Read and even memorize Ephesians 1 and 2. It all tells us who we are in Christ. And if we really truly believe this is why... We have done the 53 things that happened to us at the moment of salvation so that we could have people understand who they are in Christ. I am sealed. I am adopted. I am, a, I am brought into the family. I am the part of the bride of Christ. I am forgiven. I am loved. I, you know, over and over again, we have all these things that God says about us. And if we're doubting, either we're not saved or we're not trusting God's word. And that's what it amounts to is really fully trusting his word and giving over our complete life and, and trust to him because you know, all of it boils down to I believe. And that's not just, okay, I believe that, that Jesus lived. No, it is literally I believe that he is the son of God with all my heart, all my strength. He is the son of God and I'm saved because of him. All right? Uh, because I know that There's one pastor on the radio that drives me nuts because he says, if you don't know Jesus, say this prayer. And he says the sinner's prayer. And he goes, if you said this prayer, you are saved. The prayer is not an abracadabra, you're saved. You need to believe that prayer. Uh, And it's not just saying, you know, God, I'm a sinner. Come into my life and save me. That is the right statement. But if I just say those words, it's not magically I'm saved. I have to truly believe, number one, I was a sinner. Number two, that Jesus paid for the sins and that he rose from the dead and that he is making himself at home in my life. And those things are very important. If I truly believe in those things, deep down in my heart, not you know, at the deepest core of who I am, then, then we are changed. We are a new creation. We are following him. 
and then we spend time getting into the word faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god the more time i spend in god's word the more i'm going to be absolutely sure that i'm his because the more i read it the more i have faith in it and this is why it's so critical for us to read his word over and over again it's critical for us to memorize his word and learn and be doing this with a hearing ear god i'm hearing and i want to obey and the more i fight with him the more i've got to wonder am i saved he says i'm his child well god i'm not sure i'm your child i don't feel like i'm your child you know if you're adopted it doesn't matter what you feel like or not feel like you know you step out of that court and the and the judge says you're adopted you're adopted it doesn't matter well you know what i just don't feel like i'm part of this family it doesn't matter all right uh, over and over again we see this whole process out it doesn't matter what we feel or think if we truly have committed ourselves to him it's now his job to give us the assurance and the changed life that goes along with it and satan is going to lie to us all the time well you're not really his child you're not good enough to be his child and that's the big one you're not good enough to be his child of course i'm not good enough to be his child otherwise it wouldn't be a gift of grace after 52 years i'm still not good enough to be his child but you know when we think about it in the family you're born in are you do you have to be good enough to be part of that family no you are part of that family just because you were born plain and simple i am a wells and i will always be a wells i can be disinherited or whatever but i am always a wells why because i was born of my mother and father as a wells now women sometimes they change their names but they, <laughs> they kind of lose it on the point of the women but it's the same same type of thing they're part of a family they're always going to be part of that family whether the family likes them or doesn't like them doesn't matter you're part of that family and this is where we have to come down to do i trust god do i trust him enough to say god i have put my faith in you and i've said this over and over again this is really interesting for me because i'm a manager i always have a plan b c d and e in place just in case something doesn't work but when it comes to salvation i only have one plan if jesus is not who he says he is and he is not going to take me home i'm in trouble because i have no plan b b or c in in place if he is not who he says he is and he is not going to do what he says he's done then i'm in trouble and that's very unusual that goes against every bit of my normal personality but it says god you you said you said and i am trusting in you and he's my only hope my only trust no no plan and a lot of it comes down to having that faith to sit back and i've sh shared this several times my greatest picture of, of faith was when i went to camp with the boys group and we did repelling down a wall it was a small wall but did repelling and i'm 300 pounds and i'm looking at this little tiny skinny rope and I'm going, I'm going to step over the edge down this wall on this rope. And there was a moment when it's like, I don't think I'm going to do this, but I really want to do repelling. And they're saying that it'll hold me. And I finally took that chance and put all my weight on that rope. And it held, obviously, I'm here. But that is what this step of faith is, is like. 
it looks like it's not going to work. I don't understand how it can work, but I'm going to put my trust in what God says. And at that point, it doesn't matter what Satan says. It doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter how I feel. God says I'm a new creation. And I just walk in who he says I am. And that's the beauty of all of this that goes, goes forward. Um, he says it will walk in the shadow of the valley of death and it make a great a gross darkness. But he says, but if you will not hear it, my soul shall weep in secret places for your pride. My eyes shall weep sore and run down with tears because the Lord's flock is carried away captive. Now, I don't know if this is, at this point, God talking or Jeremiah talking. I think it's both. I know it's Jeremiah. He's known as the weeping prophet. You know, there's going to come a time, and, and for a teacher of these people, it's really hard to watch people not respond and just know what God is going to have to do in their life to get them to respond. And you're going, I wish you would just learn. I wish you would pay attention. Would you please just pay attention? And you're going, oh, here we go. You see God moving and bringing tr tr trouble on them. And it's like, if you had just listened. <laughs> and then you kind of cry for them and you're waiting for them to come back and, and follow God and want to follow God and be able to not tell you, uh, tell them I told you so. <laughs> but I even think God is the same way. When he has to bring discipline on his people, he is not up there saying, oh boy, look at what I get to do. I get to crush this person. I get to send them to hell. That is not what God is doing. He loves his creation. And when he has to do any discipline, much less send them to hell, because that was their choice, he's not going to do it. Oh boy, look at what I get to do. I get to, I get to send this uh, creation of mine into hell. It's going to be with tears that he gives them what they wanted. And he's going to not be looking forward to it. And it's going to hurt and this is very much what happens when a parent has to discipline, when a parent has to watch their kids suffer and watch how hard things get for them. And God is saying, I'm going to have tears. I'm not happy about this discipline. They deserve it. Everything is what they deserve, but I'm not happy about having to give them what they deserve. And you know, even as a parent, I don't want my kids to suffer. I don't want, even though I know that this is what they deserve and need, it still doesn't make me happy that they're suffering. I've seen God move on people's lives over the years for their disobedience to him and do very harsh things. And I've had some people go, well, they finally got what they deserve. I'm going, I cannot be happy that they're going through this much pain. Yes, they may deserve it. But I'm not happy that they're going through this. It's what they needed to go through to, for God to try to get their attention. But I am not happy that this is happening. And that should be our attitude as Christians. We're not happy when people suffer, especially fellow Christians. But I'm not even happy when the world suffers. Yes, they deserve it. Yes, they were mean, obnoxious, and whatever else. But they, I'm not happy that they are suffering the pain that they suffer the hardships that they suffer. Yes, I understand God wouldn't do it if they didn't, if it wasn't the only way to get their attention or try to get their attention, but I'm still not happy to see that kind of stuff happen. Lord, we ask you to bless our evening, give us opportunities to share, your, share you with others. 
Give us strength. Help us to seek after you in all that we do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.